Hello and welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Today I have two interviews from the Chicago International Film Festival. The first interview I have is with a new director, Lila Neugebauer, on her debut feature, Causeway, starring Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry. Causeway is a movie about a veteran who gets damaged from the war and she has to, Miss Lawrence in this case, uh, who plays Lily, has to learn how to not just be mobile again, but emotionally be stable enough where she can go back into battle. And along the way of returning home, she runs into James, played by Brian Tyree Henry, who... Uh, gives a phenomenal performance in that movie. After that interview, I interview Rodrigo Garcia. He is the director of Raymond and Ray, which will be coming out on Apple TV Plus on October 21st. Notable works from Rodrigo Garcia includes one of my favorite television shows of all time, In Treatment, and I made sure to only ask... Mr. Garcia won in treatment-based question, which I think I wrapped around to a Raymond and Ray question, so I didn't get lost in fandom. The plot to Raymond and Ray is about two brothers, Raymond, played by Ewan McGregor, and Ray, played by Ethan Hawke, have to get together and bury their father per his request that he have his two sons bury him by their own hand and well a lot of family drama surfaces from there anyways let's start with my first interview with lila neugebauer hey look if it get dark now you just ride it okay yeah yeah how do i do that (laughs) first off causeway was a wonderfully effective drama uh about friendship and the, the main one of the main interesting parts of that movie was how they, how James and um, and Lindsay they didn't end up getting in a relationship, but rather in a friendship. What what did they find in friendship that was so much more powerful than you know having the usual story where they fall in love and have kids and all that? Um, I'm just was just going down the rabbit hole of like what would their kids be like that's where you just sent me I'm like hmm um thank you for your really kind words on the movie um you know I'm endlessly fascinated by the ways in which the project of forging intimacy of any kind (laughs) romantic sexual or platonic just real live scary as hell intimacy is so often characterized by kind of contradictory impulses to reach out and then retreat, to connect and then to self-protect. I think what both of these characters need um, is to be genuinely vulnerable to another person, Mm -hmm. to give themselves permission to be seen and known by another person in all of their frailty. and their complexity. So I think of part of their journey in the film towards each other, hopefully, even if the end of the film remains open in some way, precise outcome unknown, um, is that I hope both of these people have moved one potentially small step 
forward towards allowing themselves to be known. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you, outside of trauma, which is, you know, what dry, which sort of connects Lindsay and James together, what is it that they see each other that like nobody else does? Because there's like a true connection just like right away where you're like, oh, like these guys would totally like have a beer or something. I'm glad that you perceived that. Yeah. You know, it's a funny thing what I am, sometimes it's, it's uh, slippery for me to think about what belongs to a character's conscious knowledge versus unconscious gravitational pull. So my, and also I'm always, I always feel sort of like reticent to speak for the character's intentions, but what I kind of perceive or feel is that both of them, at a level that might not be totally conscious initially, feel some kind of kinship. I think they kind of smell <laughs> that the other person has also maybe been through something, but I think they also perceive that the other person is private and maybe a bit boundaried. And I think that recognition draws them to each other and allows them each to feel like there's some possibility of safety, both because there is some shared potential experience, but also <laughs> there are some walls. And then of course, that feeling of kinship creates the space in which those walls can start to come down, but the forces that had informed what made them each self-protect <laughs> rear their heads mm -hmm. when the vulnerability arrives as the walls start to come down. How, how did James manage to kind of keep his head up the way he did after going through something that must have been loaded with insurmountable regret? I mean, I feel like you might want to ask Brian Tyree Henry about that. I guess I would say I think of that character as a person of tremendous resilience. Um, that's something I observed in a lot of people in New Orleans, Louisiana. You know, that's a city that's been through its fair share of collective trauma, and they are a remarkably resilient population whose pride of place is just infectious. Um, but I think of James as uh, a tenacious person and a person who, from a place of great grief, um, is also, um, I think, I don't think he's the kind of person who would want to make his own suffering somebody else's problem. Mm. I mean, and I wouldn't, I, I would think, it's not our problem, like, you know, right, right. <laughs> reach out. But I, I, I wonder if in part that's how that character might think about that. Yeah. What do you think is the greatest challenge uh, Lindsay and James have moving forward? Do you mean after the film ends? Yeah, like oh. without giving it away. You know? Well, I guess what I would say is that um, I always feel like what happens like in my life in the theater when the lights go out or in the movie when we cut to black, I always feel like that speculative hypothetical space, it belongs mm -hmm. to the characters and to the audience. What I guess I would say is that whatever the outcome of that final conversation, whatever his answer is, I see the end of this movie as um, kind of a beginning. Yeah. yeah. So, um, how did. Oh, where were they? I'm just going to cheat a little bit here. But um, this was your first feature film. Uh, yeah. how, how was that experience? What have you learned from it? <laughs> how much time you got? <laughs> um, right. I've learned a lot. 
Um, you are right. I have primarily been a theater director for the last 15 years, and this is my first movie. Um, it's hard to distill, but if I had to, what I would say is that, um, you know, you can talk to filmmakers, read a lot about it, but I think you have to live directing your first feature to begin to contend with the endurance that's required. As the director, you are the through line. You are there day in and day out, every step of the process, with a changing landscape of collaborators and creative processes, and you carry it with you. And the um, responsibility involved in that, the resilience involved in that, and the thrill of that, um, that was a transformative and revelatory experience. Right. Um, so, how did you? Uh, I think you talked about this a little bit, but uh, what brought you to uh, casting uh, Russell Harvard? Was that his name who played yeah. Lindsay's brother? Yeah. How did he come about into this film? Because yeah, you, you don't expect her brother to be someone from the deaf community, but when it does, it, it works beautifully in the film. I'm glad you think so. Yeah. You know. Um, That character existed in the original draft of the screenplay I read for this film, but that scene did not exist. And in the course of developing the script, it became apparent to us that that encounter, meeting him, could be revelatory for our, our protagonist <laughs> and important. So that scene was born, but the scene was not written for a deaf actor. Um, I knew Russell Harvard's work from uh, the New York theater community. I had seen him in a couple of plays, and I thought he was astonishing. I think he is astonishing. I think he's a movie star. That's what I thought the first time I saw him in a play. And um, I wanted to cast Russell. Um, how did you go about the uh, production design with the film? Because uh, you see New Orleans, but it's not like this bristling city full of life and all that. Instead, it, it kind of feels like a small town in a way, yeah. sort of like a place like Lindsay wants to get out of. You're like, oh, yeah, this isn't the New Orleans we all know. How do you go about getting that kind of look for the place? Um, walking around the streets, mm -hmm. um, spending a lot. You know, we had, um, I had the unbelievable privilege and pleasure of working with a true living legend, Jack Fisk, as our production designer. Uh, and Diego Garcia, our director of photography, also a remarkable artist. We spent a lot of time walking around the streets of New Orleans and driving the streets. I had never been there. And uh, I've spent now a lot of time in New Orleans in the last three years, and I am completely changed by my time there. It is a place of singularly rich cultural history and tradition. It is a place um, with an infectious spirit. The pride of place in that city is just wild and contagious. Um, but. What I think you are identifying in your question is that it also happens to be a singular American city that is most popularly recognized by way of its landmarks and some of its more iconic gatherings like Mardi Gras. Um, it felt important to me in this film, given the uh, intimacy with which I hoped we would encounter these characters, two natives of that city, that um, we might encounter a more private, version of New Orleans. Um, the spaces that belong to the true residents, a more intimate version of New Orleans, which really felt like a hometown. So how did uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry uh, get involved in this project? I, I believe from what I was reading, Jennifer uh, actually shares a producing credit on this. She which does. is And kind of like a return to the indie world 
in many ways for her, you know, kind of going back to her winter's bone roots. All of the above true. This is uh, the first venture of her production company, Excellent Cadaver. Um, so this project began for me uh, just over about three years ago um, when I read the original draft of this script and um, had a very intense initial reaction to it and attached myself to it. And really only a few weeks later, I found out that Jen had read it and had a similar reaction. And we had dinner. And um, we're so immediately aligned creatively, aesthetically. And I would say um, the ease of rapport between us, significantly oriented around the depth of connection that we both felt to the material, but also just as two people who were um, getting to know each other, I think for both of us felt like an undeniable basis for a very fruitful creative partnership. And she signed on that night. Um, in terms of Brian, and we were only in production a few months later, wildly enough, although courtesy of the pandemic and some hurricanes, we'd have to wait on the back end. Um, but we started at that point. Um, Brian, Tyree Henry, I've known since I was 19. Um, I met him when I was in college, in undergrad, and he was in drama school. Uh, so um, I've known for a long time that Brian is an actor of uniquely astonishing ability. And upon reading the script, he was the first person I thought of for James Oakwin, and I really didn't feel that anyone else could play that role. So I remain pretty ecstatic and humbled that he wanted to be a part of my first movie. Next is my interview with Rodrigo Garcia for Raymond and Ray. Okay, your father's last will. It was his wish that you dig his grave. What? Rodrigo Garcia, actor, uh, I'm sorry, but writer and director of uh, Raymond and Ray. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Uh, my pleasure. So yeah, so I was watching the movie today, and I was uh, thinking, how did you go about in the casting process figuring out who would play Raymond and uh, who would play Ray? Well, I, I you know, I, I when you're writing a script, you imagine everyone in every role as you're developing roles. But when I finished, you know, finally, I, I, I thought of Ewan. I'd worked with him before. I mean, I knew Ethan also a little bit, but I'd worked with Ewan before, and... Um, and I thought he would make a great Raymond. So I sent him the script. So he came first, but, you know, mostly because of now, had he said to me, I'd like to play Ray, then I'm sure I would have considered it. But I always thought he would be a good Raymond. And and he agreed. So then, you know, when he and I spoke, uh, you know, Ethan's name was among the first names that came up. So it was it was, um, you know, the beginning was practical. Who do I know that I like who could be in it? And I thought of uh, Ewan. Yeah, wonderful. So um, we always hear a lot about Harris in the film, but uh, you know Raymond and Ray's dad. But that we we never like actually get to see him speak or anything like that. We just know him through memories. How did you go about building a character just off of like references from other characters? Well, it's you know it's all it's all versions. You know everyone you know. It, it it comes from that question do you ever know your parents do you ever do your parents ever know their children um a hundred percent you know everyone has private lives and secret lives and and secret thoughts so and 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 i think people are different with everyone 
you know, each they have a different relationship and present a different version of themselves to each person. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the basic the basic premise was, you know, not every most people they run into don't have that negative idea that they have of him. They have different aspects of him, which, of course, is unsettling because then it, it makes you feel, you know, I, we didn't know him. Uh, doesn't make his behavior towards them any better. But yeah, you know, just every person I knew that every person they ran into would have a a, a new vision of um, of Harris. And in the end, we don't know. It's all versions, you know. Yeah, because I when I was watching it, I was wondering if Harris was uh, like a reformed man or if he actually was like this good person that we didn't know. I think he was not. I think he was a bitter man who was not good to his boys and didn't allow them to grow. But it's also true that, you know, people, some people soften with age, you know, and people, people mellow out and uh, sometimes get angry, less, let, you know, get less angry. I've even read that the homicidal drive of serial killers, even that mellows with age. They seem to lose that drive. I'm not comparing Harris to a serial killer, but yes, I think he softened a little bit. And towards the end, I think he was thinking of the boys, you know, and like he said to Lucia, I can't reach out to them because the boys and the men are not the same thing. Now, did you do like a lot of personal digging with this movie or I think from what I've read, this is like all completely fictional. But was there yeah. anything maybe? No, there's no um, there's nothing that's even personal or related to anything real. But, you know, your preoccupations make your way into your writing. I mean, no one can hide from his own from his or her own writing. Um, and in this case, I guess the themes are, you know, just you're joined at the hip to your loved ones and sometimes to your not so loved ones. And it's very hard to break away. You know, just because people die doesn't mean the relationship is over. Right. How did how did you uh find a balance between uh humor and drama on the film? Because it balances it pretty well throughout. Well, I mean, I you know, I knew it was dramatic because of the feelings that the men had to deal with. Um, but I, I wanted to put some humor into it. And certainly, you know, there's human folly in it, you know, starting with I want to be buried naked, and then <laughs> you know, this, you have to dig the grave and 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 you know the with no disrespect to funerals you know there's also something a little nutty in funerals it's something unbelievable it's starting with the idea that a person's life can end and they're no longer there you know just a shell is there so i think it's it's very easy when you're writing something like that for for craziness to come out but i have to say i think a lot of the humor that people are responding to comes from the way you know ethan and ewan relate to each other as Raymond and Ray and the way they look at each other and judge each other and rib each other and sort of riff off each other. You know, that of course was not necessarily written. That's what came out of their interaction. Um, but listen, I'm glad it, I'm glad that combination works as well as it does. And also that people laugh at the right places, you know, obviously, you know, once uh, Raymond blows his top at the cemetery and expresses <laughs> anger fully, you know, I didn't want people to be laughing there. And and fortunately, mostly they do not. Right, right. Uh, 
I, I think I know what scene you're referencing, but I don't want to give it away because it's yes. uh, when, when that's, that's one of the funniest parts. When he finally expresses his emotions, let's put it yeah. that way. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, you know, Raymond did say this uh thing to uh Ray at the film where uh he said, you know, I ended up repeating the history of my father and that's what children always do we always repeat do you you believe that to be true or is that just something that's true for raymond's state of mind due to well i mean you know it obviously it varies from case to case but it's you know it's not uncommon for you know children of people who are abused to be abusers you know not everyone repeats in fact you know some people make it their life's mission not to repeat not to be the bad parent that they had but it's very common to repeat yes i mean we you know it's it's sadly common um you know it's a theory it's a generalization and i think in that instance it was you know raymond trying to find ways to excuse his father uh whereas i think deep down inside he's the angrier of the two yeah yeah he definitely uh proved that um so uh, where, where did you uh, end up developing this story? Like, how did you kind of put all the pieces together into this narrative? You know, I don't know how it, where the idea came from. Originally, it was only one guy, the trumpet player. But, it, I, you know, and, and he was digging the grave and the, the reverend was there and a woman showed up with a child. But I couldn't make it any longer than a short movie. And it wasn't until I thought that it could be... Um, you know, two half brothers and with the same name, which already told me a level of, you know, damage there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I noticed that there was a great line in Nine Lies talking about how there's like a bad situation and we either later live to regret it or laugh it off. Uh, and of course, the worst things in life we turn out to regret. Do you think after burying their father, Raymond and Ray were able to uh, let go of the regrets they had in their lives correlating to their father? Or do you think it still goes on? Well, I I mean, no one is cured in a day, but my idea was that those 36 hours, those 24 hours, um, you know, did open the door a crack for them to start to hopefully move on and, and basically move out of their childhood. You know, they're stunted men who haven't really grown altogether. And uh, I think the day offers them the opportunity to do so. But, you know, no one can change in a day like that. Right, right. Uh, So I have to say I'm a huge fan of In Treatments. Uh, Yeah, that that movie, that show got me through like a lot of difficult times. And uh, going through something like In Treatment, and I saw Nine Lives for the first time yesterday, uh, there seems to be a pattern of sort of long form dialogue uh, in terms of that superseding over the uh, cinematic aspect of things. Why do you like to make movies play out more like like a stage play instead of? Well, I mean, uh, I think I think, you know, Nine Lives, you know, certainly and, and in treatment, of course, is people talking. You know, in a movie like Raymond and Ray, you know, there are dialogue scenes, but a lot of, you know, f- for me, a lot of the important stuff is visual, you know, naked in the casket, face down in the <laughs> casket, uh, you know, shooting, playing, you know, I think people can talk, but the, you know, the big, 
the big um I think the big highlights of a scene have to be visual rather than, you know, let me give you a couple of examples. In Nine Lives, for example, the, you know, the 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 peak of the scene in the supermarket is mm. what is her belly. It's not about what is said. It's not about dialogue. Or um, you know, the 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 part with um with Lisa Gay Hamilton is when the father comes home and she pulls out the gun. You know, so so um or or in the final scene, you know, with the reveal that, you know, Glenn Close is at the cemetery. You know, I think dialogue can be wonderful and a great motor, but I think in movies for me the great reveal often has to be visual and not dialogue. Right. Well, I was I've been given the uh, wrap up time, but thank you so much for sure. uh doing this. Thank you. And Guys, check out Raymond and Ray's coming out on Apple TV Plus. All the information will be in the description. This will be up soon. So thank you, Mr. Garcia, for uh, very much. Taking, uh, taking your time to do this. Thank you. Of course. Bye-bye. But it's going to take a whole lot more than a hole in the ground to get the old man out of your head. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'd like to thank the bar that <laughs> I am admittedly never at nowadays just because life, I just never get to go out. I'm just always working. But if you just happen to be not wor- not be working, go over to Galway Bay at 500 West Diversity Parkway. They're the bar in the background of all my episodes. And for a place that has a real local feel, you can't get a better deal. Anyways... Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to check out any of my material, you can go to ypareviews.com or go to Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok. Just type in YPA Reviews. The YPA stands for You'll Probably Agree.